Hello and welcome, friends, back to our six-week Skillful Living program. We are really moving through the program. Uh, my name is Venerable Tarpa. Before we begin, let's take a moment to appreciate our kind community gathered here today. Today, I feel fortunate to sit as a member of this kind community in the safety and security of like-minded people, sharing the present moment and with others dedicated to the cultivation of goodness. Today, I'm grateful for the direction and support that this community provides, a community worthy of my time and commitment, a community where my efforts have meaning, purpose, and are appreciated. Today, I'm thankful for this community of awakening, a place to gain the knowledge and skills to improve my life, a family, a home, and a sanctuary for all of us seeking refuge from the storm. And let's remember as conscientious practitioners, we must recognize our responsibility to the world, to strive to live skillfully while helping others to do the same, to strive to live in balance and harmony with nature and others to strive to gain mastery over our minds and embody our true benevolent nature, to expand our hearts and minds, transcending our shared human limitations, to not intentionally harm sentient life or our planet, and to maturely accept and embrace the reality of our situation while striving to improve it. Those initial prayers are gonna start making a lot more sense to everybody as we move through the program. I think that they probably are already. Um, again, welcome to our program. This is our fourth week and our eighth class of our Skillful Living program. In today's class, we're going to be exploring working with pain and suffering. Oh, what a delightful topic. Um, but it's an important one. We have to, we have to get to the, to the not-so-pretty parts of life as well. Uh, but before we do, let's take a moment and review what we learned yesterday. So yesterday we dug in and began to explore understanding our pain and suffering. And again, you know, the reason why we're trying to understand them is so that we can transcend them, so we can gain liberation from them. Um, we talked about different, the difference between pain and suffering we talked about our afflictions uh, and shared human limitations. We talked about and advised everybody to start to disidentify with our own and others' afflictions and limitations. And lastly, we talked about this subtle fuel that lies behind and pushes these challenging mental states and emotions that which drives our intentions and actions does anyone have any questions about yesterday's class what'd you think of it actually we had a lot of really positive messages from such a heavy topic i thought that was quite delightful and i guess when you're suffering you really want to know why you're suffering right that's good news it's like you know, the Buddha is always using the analogy of the doctor's office, that he says, the Buddha says, we should see our pain and suffering, our challenging emotions and mental states as an illness. And the Buddha is the doctor, the Dharma is the medicine, and the Sangha is the community that nurses us back to health. It's quite pretty, isn't it? Yeah. Also takes a lot of the blame away, doesn't it? It's not my fault. So now when I'm angry, when I'm selfish, when I'm greedy, that's my new line. It's not my fault. I'm suffering from shared human limitations. So now none of us have any responsibility anymore. Of course, I'm being silly. Are you starting to glimpse the nature of your pain and suffering as we, as we talked about that yesterday? Do you feel like you're starting to glimpse it? Yeah. You know, um, often Buddhists will, will mention that, well, why, why, aren't, why don't you just teach the Four Noble Truths, which is the Buddhist uh, uh, sutras or the Buddhist teachings on the nature of suffering and where it comes from. And the fact is, is that this is kind of a precursor to it yesterday's and today's lesson, kind of a, a light version. 
and then in, in further curriculum we, we can get deeper into the actual Buddha's presentation of it. But this is all based on that. Okay, you're such a curious bunch. <laughs> were, you, were you able to glimpse that subtle fuel that lies behind your actions and emotions? Anybody have a chance? Sometimes when you learn about it, you go, aha, there it is. Do you get it? Maybe you saw it in your meditation. You feel that little pull of anxiety? No? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So for advanced practitioners, that's where the practice really engages. You know, the surface stuff we feel, the obvious negative emotions, negative feelings, challenging, we like to use the word. Those are kind of more superficial, more surface level, though pain never feels superficial, does it? <laughs> Whether it's a toothache or somebody calls me a fat monk, it still hurts, doesn't matter. But the fact is, is that uh, it's, it is kind of superficial. And then if you can, if you can dig down into it, and get to the roots of it all, then you have this realization that, that it's just, oh, there's this energy that arises. And when you can work with that at that level, quite profound results uh, come from it. Thank you. Okay, then let's get to today's teaching. So today, uh, we talked about, yesterday we talked about understanding our pain and suffering. Well, guess what? We don't want to just, we just don't want to understand it. We want to do something about it, don't we? So that's today's class, working with pain and suffering and our challenging emotions and mental states. Um, an interesting thing, I think it's pretty obvious, but I think people are always surprised when I say it that, you know, you realize, we talked about this spectrum of human experience. And we talked about at one end there's suffering, at the other end there's happiness. And I don't think anybody can deny this. I mean, this is just true in all of our experiences. Now, you could call those ends, you could use different terms for those ends. But basically, that's really what it is, right? At one end, we have aspects of life we don't like, <laughs> that aren't pretty. We call it suffering. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have aspects that are that are okay and we like, right? And so we're calling that happiness. You could say whatever you want, but we're just, for now, we're using the word happiness. So this is a spectrum. So when we're talking about gaining happiness, and we're talking also about working with and transcending pain and suffering, you realize it's the same thing, right? right? We're on that spectrum. So if we move away from pain and suffering, guess which direction we're moving? We're moving towards happiness. And when we're not having much luck with happiness, and we're slipping back, we're moving towards pain and suffering. And of course, the needle goes back rapidly during the day, depending on what stimuli we're dealing with, right? Your favorite song comes on the radio and you're singing. It's a seal song, whatever that song he sings. You're singing and you're happy and you're full of joy. I remember this song and I was at this concert and boom, you're hit by another car out of, comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you're back in the pain and suffering part of the spectrum. So we bounce back and forth all the time, but, uh, I think it's impossible to do both at the same time. It's pretty hard to like be in pain and be happy at the same time. Uh, I'll let you ponder that one. I'm sure somebody's gonna send me a message telling me I'm wrong and showing me examples, but I think that that's true. So transcending suffering and attaining happy, happiness is actually the same thing. And because it's the same thing, we approach it in the same manner. So, um, so first of all, uh, so in Buddhism terms, with when we were talking about the Four Noble Truths and the Buddha's take on all of this, Buddhism approaches it first. Buddhism teaches pain and suffering first, and Buddhism asserts that if you understand 
your pain and suffering thoroughly and you have some tools to work with it, you can transcend it and be happy, right? Great game plan. But I thought, I thought it for a Western teaching, it comes off a little pessimistic. I think, I think Westerners want to hear a little bit about goodness and happiness first. So I'd like to teach the goodness and happiness first. But the fact is, is that that really is the model for the Buddhist teachings. Again, that our afflictions, our negative emotions and challenging mental states are seen as an affliction, like an illness. And once you recognize that and you get the right medicine, then you can get better and you can be healthy, which is happiness. So nevertheless, when we're talking about working with pain and suffering, as well as our challenging emotions and mental states, we go about it in basically the same way through, uh, through understanding. This is the, the first and most important aspect of how we work with these difficulties in life by learning to work with them and understand every aspect of the problem, of the pain, of the suffering, we gain the ability to transcend it and even gain mastery over it. Um, so when we talk about pain and suffering, remember we're talking about physical, mental, or emotional. So it doesn't necessarily matter which one it is. It works the same way, right? So. Um, that's the first thing we do for transcending these. And so much of the time, that understanding brings so much peace uh, to the situation. Now, let's, so let's say physical pain. Say you, you fell down and you, you sprained your ankle and you're in pain. You know, understanding that isn't necessarily going to make the pain go away. But uh, understanding what you did, uh, knowing how to take care of it. You go to the hospital, you have it set, uh, understanding different treatments for it, or if it's a sickness, you know, researching yourself and finding, finding uh, treatments for it. These, this kind of understanding can even help us at the pain level. Yeah, so you have, uh, maybe a better example would have been a headache, uh, where you go online and you read all there is to read about how to get rid of headaches and they have all these different treatments and you find one and it works and that understanding gets rid of that physical pain. But what the what understanding really helps is the secondary suffering that we've been talking about that, you know, first we experience pain and then the story comes in, doesn't it? And um, I think this this really the best example for this is like physical I'm sorry mental emotional pain like when someone insults us and we're offended you know hey fatty get going get out of line they say to me right and I'm offended how dare they say that to me don't they see I'm I'm an I'm a monk and I'm a I'm a venerable monk over here how could they say that to me and I'm offended by it but that the pain of that doesn't just end there, does it? <laughs> right? It would be okay if the pain ended there. Okay, I'm offended, and then I go about my day. It's some stranger offends me. I'm never going to see this person again. It doesn't matter, though. I'm not going to let go of it, am I? <laughs> right? We don't let go of it. We bring it with us, and we're in the office and thinking, wow, that really bugged me. That How dare they say that to a, a venerable monk? And um, we make a story about it, right? And we tell people about it. And sometimes we're not even that offended. But after we think about it for a while, we start to really exaggerate the situation, don't we? Right? And we make it and make it worse and worse. And, uh, but this is what we do. This is the secondary suffering, right? So the initial pain's there, but oh, we don't leave it there. We build it into something much greater. And then, uh, and then you know, you can't sleep at night and you think about it the next day. And for a lot of us, you know, we hang on to it for a long time, don't we? I remember, you know, 
insults or being embarrassed, uh, embarrassed, having embarrassing things happen to me when I was just a child and I still hang on to those things. So this secondary suffering is the one that we're, that uh, is kind of uh, insidious, you know, that we have to work with. And understanding the mechanism is the way we, is the way we go about ridding ourselves, transcending it, right? So understanding works on so many different levels when it comes to this, you know, from a physical uh, understanding or gaining insight into a physical uh, remedy for a physical injury, all the way to uh, mental and emotional pain. You know, we talk about emotional pain, that's pretty clear right? That can be anger, that can be embarrassment, jealousy. Uh, but um, sometimes uh, challenging mental states, people have problems wrapping their mind around. One of the ones that I always think of right away is fear, right? Now, there's, there's fear that saves our lives from a tiger. And then there's fear that we're not going to be able to do a job that we just got hired for that just sabotages us, right? So there's beneficial and just, there's beneficial fear and then there's just neurotic fear that doesn't benefit us in any way. In fact, that handicaps us and sabotages us. So that's a form of a challenging mental state. Delusions are other ones, you know? Um, and, and, and so much uh, related to, uh, you know, the loss of self-confidence with fear, right? And these are just de debilitating and, uh, and they can be very tough. And then you get, you get into like actual, uh, the mental, the, the, the uh, states of de a clinical depression. I'm sorry, I was having problems forgetting the, the term, um, remembering the term. Clinical depression is a mental state, not an emotion, right? And so uh, these can be really challenging. So how do we apply ha uh, understanding? How do we incorporate understanding into this? And we do it through the three great objectives. We've been using the three great objectives throughout the program. And that's simply study, contemplation, and meditation, right? And remember, the study is not just book study. It's also real world experience, experiential discovery, right? And uh, so that's what that's how we create understanding, wisdom, insight. Now, there's another aspect we use, and that is acceptance. And of course, we've been working with this as well. We've been practicing the four steps of acceptance, but acceptance helps us to transcend our resistance to reality. And so much of the time, that's where that story comes from, right? Somebody insults us and we create that story. We can't let go of that story. We make the situation worse and worse in our minds, right? And the whole reason for it is because we can't accept what's happened, right? Um, we're in denial of what's happened. We get caught up in the blame game and we suffer because the world doesn't conform to our wishes. So that guy insults me. Hey, look at that fat monk in line. And I don't like it one bit. Um, but um, the thing about it is, is that, you know, through the four steps of acceptance, you learn how to, to uh, rationalize it and accept it in a broader way. And the fact is, is, you know, I think to myself, People have been assaulting each other since the beginning of time. You know, this is this is normal human behavior. This isn't some tragic situation that just happened. There's no reason for me to build some tragic story about it and hang on to it. This is normal human behavior. I might not like it, but it's not tragic. I'm... I've probably insulted my share of people in my life as well. But when we ra rationalize and accept it in the, in the light that it really exists, then we, uh, we oftentimes find great freedom from it. So um, that's how acceptance works. And acceptance works also, you know, we've had, uh, I've learned a lot from 
Sangha members who have been uh, living in, in, uh, in great pain and, uh, and this disabilitating pain uh, that they've had and they'll probably have their whole lives and they come on to get some comfort but they've uh, they've taught us so much as well and they all talk about the same thing it's just it's accepting the pain is what really helps in dealing with the pain because if you fight it it just makes the pain worse and they fight it in the sense that they start to build a story about it right and they, they tell themselves, you know, I'm miserable. I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. They keep pondering all of this, where at some point they just accept it and they just try to deal with the conditions that they're, that they're in, uh, that uh, this helps greatly at dealing with the physical, mental, and emotional pain of the condition. So, um, uh, so I wanted to pass that on to everyone as well. And, and again, we, uh, we incorporate acceptance into our lives and we use it through our practice of the four steps of acceptance. And so it's through understanding and acceptance that suffering can, we can gain mastery over it. Now, Buddhism asserts that complete, uh, uh, to be able to completely transcend our suffering is possible. Uh, Buddhism also asserts that most of our suffering is made by us. It's man-made. Again, it's, it's us generating these stories. <clears throat> There's that old saying that most of the pain and suffering we experience are only thoughts. <laughs> and it's really true, isn't it? I mean, we experience, you know, you got a toothache. That's more than a thought. But how often does that happen? Most of the time, we're suffering because of petty little things. Somebody didn't invite you to a party at the office or something, you know, or we can't sleep at night. <clears throat> so, um, so in Buddhism, when we're talking about using understanding acceptance, we're talking, these are mechanisms for transcending pain and suffering. Buddhism isn't about suppressing our pain and suffering. First of all, we're not in, we're not in the false positivity that we're just going to pretend everything's okay. We're going to live in denial. That's a form of, of suppression, right? Um, we're also not about being tough and just ignoring it and uh, that doesn't work as well. And the difference in, in the two is that suppression doesn't, doesn't have any wisdom to it, right? We transcend these, these problems, these challenges that we have by understanding them, accepting that this is the nature of our reality, right? We have it in our, our prayer, right? We have our one prayer that says, accepting the situation of reality and then doing our best to improve it. <clears throat> and that's the first thing that we, we always have to keep in mind, that throughout life, no matter what we're doing, we always have to keep ourselves authentic and keep ourselves existing in reality by accepting the reality of the situation. Whatever situation we're in, accept it. You don't have to like it. But if you want to if you want to really do something about it in a positive, constructive way, the first step is to accept it for what it is. <clears throat> so another thing we do in Buddhism is we, we utilize antidotes, just like they do in medicine. And um, there's a lot of cool antidotes. Like sometimes there's simple ones. <clears throat> like if you're, if you're feeling sad, you know, to, Help. Oh, there's, a, there's an old uh, saying that says, if you're feeling poor, help someone who's more poor than you. If you're feeling lonely, help someone who's lonelier than you. If you're feeling um, uh, grief-stricken, help somebody that's worse off than you. And it's really true. So these are like little antidotes, right? But one of the great antidotes is uh, uh, something that we've been talking about throughout the series. And it's the fact that the mind can only entertain one thought at a time. And uh, a lot of people write to me and say, I don't know if that's true. It's, it's quite 
fascinating subject, but um, but it's true. You know, in general, in general, the way the mind works, we can only entertain one concept or idea at a time. Though our senses can work in tandem, our mind doesn't have that ability. So, uh, one of the things that Buddhism uses as an antidote is this: is this fact. So, especially in the Mahayana path, the Bodhisattva idea, ideal. The Bodhisattva uh, is a person who's uh, devoted his life to benefiting others. And, um, and because of that altruistic act, he finds his own, his own happiness as well. Uh, but the fact is, is that while we're focused on the happiness of others, guess what we're not focused on? <laughs> That's right, our, our own misery, right? If you're focusing on helping others, your mind can't also at the same time think about all your problems. So Buddhism uses this quite a bit in, in different ways, and it works. It really does work. And also the fact that the Dalai Lama is always pointing out that so much of our behaviors are merely habits, meaning that so we're, sometimes we're just in the habit of, of negative thinking. We're in the habit of challenging emotions. So by focusing on the more positive aspects of our lives, anything from altruism, goodness, the things we've talked about here, um, you, uh, you really can take that energy away from the negative. We, I told the, uh, the, the, the antidote before of the, uh, of the uh, I think it was an American Indian story where there's two wolves inside us and one wolf is dark and angry, the other one is light and joyful. And uh, they're always in battle. And the young young uh, warrior says, the chief, he, he hears the story and he says, in the end, which one wins the battle? And the chief says, oh, the wolf that you feed is the one that wins the battle. So the Dalai Lama often uh, says similar things. He really believes this, that by focusing on, on positive, good, altruistic things, we really can rewire our minds to be more, more positive and to be more happy and joyful. So, um, but one of the ultimate uh, antidotes in Buddhism is this idea of patience. And the more I practice, the more I keep coming to patience, that it is an extraordinary quality, not just as an antidote, but for the mental state that it creates. Now, it's important to, to, to let you know, we talk about patience, we're talking about it in the Buddhist sense, and it's a little bit more complex. In the, in the West, patience is often defined as, let's say, good-natured tolerance. Isn't that, it's a funny, funny definition. In a sense, I think it's right though. Patience, good-natured tolerance. Like you're waiting in line at the bakery and yeah, I guess that is patience. But in Buddhism, patience is more akin to non-action, non-reaction. It's about being, being more objective, right? It's about being that camera lens and watching the world more than always feeling like you have to interact with it, fixating on the outcome of events. You know, as Buddhists, we become, we become watchers and you learn how to watch life and then be much more particular about where you need to interact. And you start to realize, well, most of life works pretty well on its own. And also when it comes to insults or negative behavior, you can watch, just watch a lot of it drift by like you're watching a river and just address the things that you think make a difference, right? So much of the of the garbage that we get from people, whether they're insults or or uh, <clears throat> any kind of people trying to put us down or make us feel bad, so much of it can just be ignored, right? It doesn't matter. But then you pick your battles. So that's this idea of patience, of just waiting a little bit, not, not being so quick to react to things. And of course, we all know reaction when it comes to like things like anger. You know, we all know we, sh we shouldn't be as angry as we are sometimes, but boy, do any of us have any control over it, right? We react so quickly 
we don't have time to think about how we should act. So reactivity is a big problem with human beings. But when you get this, this, this feeling of patience, and the Buddhist patience, it's, a, it's really kind of merged with calmness and wisdom. Yeah? It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful quality. And the more I practice, the more I, I start to see that patience itself in the Buddhist context is, is quite a magical quality. And uh, I think it has a lot to do with awakening. I wonder if a lot of us were just awakening to this, this objectivity of patience. Okay, let's talk about uh, transcending negative thoughts and memories. We talked about this yesterday. Let me put a meme up and then we'll take some questions. So <clears throat> we talked about yesterday that you know, we're having a beautiful day with our family, we're having a picnic, and out of the blue, some stupid negative thought from the past, some kind of memory, pops up for no reason and changes your mental state and, um, and how it's uh, ridiculous. It could also be um, when, uh, oh, you, you just found out you got this new job you've been trying for, you're excited about it, and then all of a sudden your mind's flooded with dread because you're not going to be able to do the job and none of it's true but but this is what our minds often do so uh this comes from the text and it's a handful of uh of of uh remedies for some of these things so first is to first of all uh overall what we're trying to do is gain control over the thinking process <clears throat> learning to a and 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 that is the uh being able to control the content of your thought as well as whether to think at all. You know, you, gaining the ability to just shut that voice off and just not listen to it at all. Um, and we do this through learning to abide in a more present and objective mental state, right? And we're talking about presence, right? Take a deep breath, focus on, focus on the breath and we have presence. Um, and then we have uh, substituting challenging mental states for more productive ones. So uh, you get some self-doubt that comes in. Right away, you put in an antidote and you start to talk to yourself and say, come on now, you're good at this stuff, you've earned this, you know what you're doing, you're going to do fine. You could also, if hatred or things come in, you could replace it with loving kindness. Uh, reflecting on the harm that negative states cause ourselves and others. Learning to accept our suffering, thereby reducing the mind's efforts to defend against it. We talked yesterday about uh, one hypothesis of why negative thoughts come about. And, and the one that I like is the idea that the, the mind is always replaying past experiences, painful experiences, hoping that it'll find an answer to them. So the next time that experience comes up, you're prepared. And, um, and I think that this is a great way to think about it. Uh, contemplating your true benevolent nature, right? And <clears throat> lastly, simply refusing to let negativity stand. This is advice from the Buddha himself. This is, he says, if nothing else works, just say no. Just say no to the thought, to the motion, to the mental state. Tibetans, they, uh, they have a word and it's pay. And it, it, it kind of means, you know, no, I'm not going to let this stand. And you'll, you'll hear in meditation halls, everybody's meditating and somebody will just yell out, pay. And what they're trying to say, they're saying no to their mind. Hey, I'm meditating and I'm focusing on my breath. Don't you try to drag me away. So we do have this ability to simply say no to ourselves, right? Okay. Anyways, I wanted to share that with you. And um, do we have any questions? What do you guys think of this idea? The Buddhist idea of pain and suffering, working with pain and suffering. What do you think of the idea of understanding as being the ultimate tool for working with our suffering. You know, it's always been, it's always been the ultimate tool for dealing with fear, right? 
any kind of fear you deal with, if you can, if you can understand the nature of the fear, you know, that's the best remedy for any kind of fear. You're afraid of snakes. You learn everything you can about snakes. Now, one. Yeah, pretty much ultimately, whenever you're doing anything, uh, understanding and knowledge are crucial to su succeeding. So, well, the problem is we like to hide from our emotions, and you know, most of us don't want to dig into them and learn about them. We want to we want to distract ourselves from them, hide from them, bury our head in the sand. David? <clears throat> You're muted. Can I help you? Um, yeah, it's just uh, something you said yesterday and how it interacts with what you've been saying today, Tarpa. I don't quite get. Um, one of the things you said was as a, as a way to deal with right? Example, sadness, rather saying, I am sad. You say sadness is happening? Yeah, it's identifying with this identifying. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, how does that... Not, not personifying our emotions. Yeah. So how does that fit in with... Um, because, uh, okay, it, it's happening, uh, but it's happening in me. It's happening in my my brain. So it's it's part of the collection that, that is me. Um, so, uh, so how does that then uh, does that not detract from accepting the situation because the situation is I there is sadness in me it's not just happening it's in me and if the, the solution to that is acceptance then that that runs contrary to just disidentifying uh, with it it's not it's, if you disidentify yeah. with it that is different from accepting it that's a very it is yeah, disidentifying is the comes from the aspect of understanding. So when you understand the nature of your challenging emotions, whether it's sadness or anger or anything else, and through that understanding, you realize that they're not true aspects of you, but instead they're afflictions that you're experiencing. Then it's easier. And then when we when we identify and personify these emotions, that's a story that we're creating about the pain. I'm angry, I'm an angry person. We're assuming that they're innate aspects of us and they, and they characterize us, which is absolutely not true, right? This is all about it, that's the story we talk about. And so when we understand the nature of sadness, of anger, and then we realized, like yesterday when I said that, I noticed so many people in the audience nodding their heads. Maybe for the first time, they never, they, they heard that, that, oh, those aren't innate qualities, that they're, they don't characterize you. They're just afflictions that you have to, that you're dealing with. And they're afflictions that you can find peace from, you can transcend. Then you accept, then you accept that and find peace. But the understanding comes first. You have to understand something. Well, maybe they work together, but I think maybe understanding comes a little first. Does that help? Uh, I think so. I'll, I'll... <laughs> yeah, good. As usual. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tafa. You're welcome, my dear friend. Um, and how about, uh, how about acceptance? Did you... Do you understand how acceptance helps us to eliminate that story? You know, especially the uh, the the four steps of acceptance, right? A sample. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of uh, physical pain, um, just arthritis or strain, I spent a lot of time trying to reduce the amount of painkillers and medication, you know, that I um, take. So. Um, part of that has been actually accepting, you know, the pain and actually, you know, trying to find other ways to, you know, reduce inflammation or, or not to be sore uh, rather than just rely on sort of tablets. So one one of the things that I, I do quite often is just accepting it and accepting the limitations that can come with it, but it's yes. not to 
Well, sometimes I do still have the frustration and yeah. I used to, there's things that I used to do that I can't do. You know, like I can't do karate anymore, for example, yeah. but, um, you know, and I'm struggling, you know, with my weight because of my metabolism. So there's a lot yeah. of things, but I think that's the, the key thing is I do generally accept more than I once did. That's probably Yeah. And I'm sure you get a lot of peace from that. Um, and that's what I've I've learned from our Sangha members who, who uh, live with chronic conditions, is that at the beginning they would fight it and they would yell at the doctors and everything else. But at some point when you can, when you accept the situation, and uh, I think it, it leaves us open to more possibilities, right? You know, because when we, when we fight against things, it narrows our view, right? And then we, we learned, uh, you know, maybe last week, the week before, we learned that the idea that when compassion has a wisdom that comes with it, this, our altruistic, our benevolent qualities, when we accept the pain and we can open ourselves up and be kind towards others, there's a wisdom that comes from it. And I think we literally just learn more when, we're, when we have a better mental state. And fighting it just doesn't put us in a good mental state. I think it just closes us off and it's almost like you're just giving into the disease. Yeah. Catherine, would you like to add anything? Catherine's a medical doctor. I mean, before the incident, now she's <laughs> retired. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think a lot of it be um, about denial. If we're de in denial about something, we can't really, uh, look after ourselves properly and a lot of energy a lot of thought processes and a lot of energy goes into try to deny something or to not accept something and I think when you when you accept something it it takes a it takes the sting out of it really and the, the other thing that I think that we often do is we catastrophize we blow yeah. things up into a proportion and we kind of stick around it so this one thing becomes huge and we kind of get stuck on that one thing. Whereas yeah. if this identify it with it and if we can accept it, we can see it as part of the whole picture and that gives it a better perspective. Thank you, Michelle. Beautifully said. Um, so I'd like to move on to the next part. So there's another interesting way of working with our pain and suffering. And this is something that I found in my own practice. And uh, I found a connection between, uh, between challenging emotions and mental states and self-confidence. And I, I noticed that as, um, I noticed that when I, when I would find myself falling into stories and fall, falling into suffering, and my mind being busy with, with uh, challenging mental states. I also noticed that they were, they were at times that I was dealing with low confidence or low self-esteem. And I continued to watch it, and I found this connection between the two. And I found that whenever my confidence or self-esteem came down, all this negative, all this negative dialogue from back in my mind would come up. They seem quite connected. And so I started to practice uh, that when I felt any kind of negativity like that, I would work on ways to create more self-confidence and self-esteem. A lot of it just like the practice of the of the four steps of acceptance. I would have a dialogue with myself, cheer myself up like a good friend does, right? Talk to myself, I'd say, hey, don't think that way. You're a good person. You got But I would just, whatever I could, I would just lift up my self-esteem and my self-confidence. And guess what? That little voice would kind of fall away. And, um, and I found that to be very helpful. And I think I got a slide here. And so when we're talking about self-confidence here, um, self-confidence can be understood as a firm belief in ourselves and our own judgment, our skills, our ability to learn, adapt, and find solutions to difficult 
difficulties that arise. Uh, genuine self-confidence is humble, spacious, and generous, whereas false self-confidence is rooted in egotism, competition, and greed. And so, um, so I came up with a practice, and the practice is really easy. I call it the practice of trust. And uh, so, and it's so easy. So when, when things get rough in my life, when challenges come up, whatever they are, physical, mental, whatever they are, I simply say to myself, trust. I give myself the instructions, trust, right? Now, it's important to know what I'm talking about trusting in, because it sounds almost religious. We're not trusting in a God above, unless you want to, it's up to you. I'm not. I'm not trusting in external things. What I'm trusting in is I'm trusting in myself. I'm trusting in my judgment, my skills, my ability to learn, adapt, my ability to find solutions to whatever difficulties might arise. Um, and uh, I'm trusting in, I guess in Buddhism, we would call it karma, right? The momentum that I've created in my life that's moving forward, which includes the network of loved ones, the support network of loved ones and people in my life. If something happens, people, other people can help me. The network of professional network of people that can help, let alone help you, but people that you can go to for information, things like that, right? We don't live in isolation. But this idea of karma, this idea that we create a momentum that moves forward, it's a momentum that's full of resources, right? And when we're, when we're decent beings and we have good friendships and good networks with people, that increases and we're able to get more help from more people. And so trusting is trusting in that. And especially the idea of our abilities, my own abilities. So something comes up, I'm a little bit worried about it. I just say the word trust. And it seems that for me, it works great. It just instantly takes a lot off. And what it does is it just reminds me that, hey, whatever happens, I'm going to be able to take care of it. You know? If it's financial, I'll be able to borrow the money, do something. If it's this, if it's that, I'll find, even if I don't know what to do about it now, I have the ability to find solutions to it. When I need to, I'll know what to do when that arises. That's what this idea of trust is, yeah? And, um, and it's just, it, it's kind of a silly reminder, but there's a lot of truth to it. And I think we're all examples of it sitting here, right? So we're all sitting here. All of us are somewhere over the age of 20. Our whole lives, right? How often does it happen that something comes up and it's just going to be the end of the world, right? When you're a kid, it's having a pimple, <laughs> whatever, being embarrassed somewhere. But how many times in our lives, how many times a year, do you think something comes up and you're like, I'm not going to survive this, or how am I going to get past this? And guess what? Somehow we're all still here, which shows us that a majority of the time we do, we find ways to deal with it, right? Again, a lot of it's a story that we create in our minds about things that are happening, our worries, right? It's not real. They're just stories. So, this practice of trust is just a reminder of your own abilities. And we really can trust in ourselves. Yeah? Some of us are quite old. Some of us are, I'm 60. We have Sangha members that are a bit older than me. Think how many things I've, I've fixed, I've, I've won out over. How many times that I didn't lose the house, I didn't end up on the street. My mother was always talking about, we're gonna end up on the street. So this is the practice of trust. And I think it's, it sounds kind of simple, but boy, I think it really works. I want everybody to give it a little bit of a try. What do you think of this correlation between emotion and self-confidence? Has anybody else noticed it in your lives? Mental states and self-confidence, yeah. 
it seems the I, I see it, now that I know about it, it's so obvious that when I when I dip down into these negative mental states, that voice is just waiting for me. You know, another aspect I I didn't talk about is that when we talk about those uh, negative. Uh, uh, let's call it a negative voice in our, our, our heads that talks to us or brings up negative memories. The other uh, way to work with it is simply by becoming a more virtuous person, right? As we work on virtue, whether you're holding vows or not, as you get better at holding virtue and you're moving in that direction, those voices fall away. I, I almost never get them anymore so rare that I have a negative voice telling me something. I used to be haunted by it. And then what happened is just, this is what in Buddhism we call purification, right? We're not purifying some kind of soul or things. Buddhism doesn't believe in a soul. We're purifying our perspective. And so when we purify that, when we work towards virtue, towards wisdom, when we when we work on our awareness and become calm, that negativity falls, begins to fall away. And then lastly, the other thing that really triggers that negative voice is our speediness and busyness. I talked about that yesterday. It is, it's, it's very true with me because we become neurotic, don't we? When there's a deadline due and the kids need this and this, and we're just, we get all wound up, we just become neurotic, don't we? You know, you become a little bit crazy. And then that's where a lot of negativity is bred as well. So as we learn to calm down, to just tackle one problem at a time, to remain objective, the negativity is lessened. Any thoughts? Yes, Nima. Um, as you're talking, I was trying to reflect on... Um the ideas that I mean in in 2016 I almost died and I was in the hospital and when I finally came to I had this determination like you said you have to have um, trusted yourself so I had this very strong determination that um, you know I used to uh, believe in the power of uh, I had the power to make changes in my own life so I, so I, I decided at that moment, I don't know why I kept saying, I'm going to take control of the situation once I came through. And I didn't want to have any kind of medical thing happening, procedures done to me, because I felt that I had the ability to overcome um, the illness that I was suffering from. <clears throat> and um, so... <laughs> I did this, um, you know, I did lots of visualizations. I tried to talk to myself and everything. And um, I wasn't getting better. I found that I wasn't getting better. And so um, my friends came and talked to me, said, you know, we the doctor has this idea that if you we do this, then you'll get better. But I didn't trust them. You know, when we're talking about trust, I trusted myself because I felt that I in my life, I saw incidences where I did have, quote, some control over my life. So I believed that I could control things in my life. But then um, I realized that, no, the body actually <laughs> doesn't listen to what I say. I, the visualizations that I do sometimes don't work. And so I, to me, I trust think that this is, is a little bit of a different process. topic, uh, Nima. Isn't it trust the process? No, this is uh, this is more based on rationale. I think when, with that kind of situation you're in, that's more a question of of uh, falling into delusion, of believing. Yeah, I was deluded. I was deluded. Very much. I was yeah. Yeah, and so I guess my bottom line is, when I started to trust the process, and realize that you know. I need to allow the process to happen. The process includes doctors. The process includes the idea that I have, you know, if I want this to be impermanent, I, I realized that it was impermanent. I needed to trust the entire process. So 
I guess when I'm thinking of trust, sometimes we can trust ourselves, but we go down the wrong path. And I think for me, trust means looking at the entire process. That's where well, I'm trying to get The trust you're at. talking about now is talking about trust as being trusting decisions that you make. I think we're talking about something a little bit more abstract. And this is just a little bit of, this is an antidote to dealing with a lot of anxiety and fear in our lives. So when it comes down to making actual choices, who we trust, do we trust the doctor ourselves? I think this is a different topic. And it, it often it comes down to just a good guess. None of us know the future. But here we're talking about trust in a different way. This is, uh, again, uh, we're not talking about distinct choices that we're making. We're just, and, and we're also talking about trust that the practice of trust doesn't mean that we that everything will work out fine. I mean, oftentimes things don't. But the, here when we practice trust, the idea is where we, we believe that, you know, most of the time things work out. Let's wait and see before we get nervous, before we get, uh, before we start working ourselves up. And this practice of trust is just working at controlling that story controlling that neurosis that comes out, all that worry. And none of the worry is real because none of us know the future, right? All of that worry is just in our own minds. So for myself, when I say, I say, just trust, then it, it puts a lot of that at, to rest. It gives me a sense of ease, but it doesn't mean that I'm automatically going to know what the future is. It's, it, it, there's a wisdom to it. It's not a blind trust. It's just getting myself not to worry so much about it. So, but you bring up a really, a really good point, Nima. Yeah, where do we trust and who do we trust? I think that's a that's a, a little different question, more pertaining to uh, choices we make. I have a different teaching for that one. Okay, uh, we're running out of time. I was hoping to get to. Um, in this chapter, in Lesson 8, we have a big list of unique emotions and mental states and uh, advice on how to work and deal with them. I think what's written there is self-explanatory. Uh, there's a lot there. It's like a mini little encyclopedia. Uh, but uh, uh, I don't have time to run through them. Uh, right now. If you'd like to talk about any of them, we can do that on our on our SBT uh, Dharma chat group. Um, and um, so if it's okay with everybody, I want to wrap things up and uh, recap a little bit of what we learned today. So uh, today we learned that understanding is a incredibly powerful tool for working with our pain and suffering. Uh, and we utilize it through the three great objectives of study, contemplation, meditation. That's how we gain understanding, wisdom, and insight. We learned about the power of acceptance, which we've talked about before, uh, its power to limit and even resolve our pain and suffering, which we do through the practice of the four steps of acceptance. We also learned how to use antidotes to work with our pain and suffering. And the, the supreme antidote is patience, which in the Buddhist context is related to reduced reactivity. So in this week's practice, we're all gonna be practicing together this week um, we have, let me put it on the screen for everybody. Here's our daily practice. I think I can make it bigger. Yeah, there we go. So um, we're focused on study, contemplation, and meditation on what we've learned about pain and suffering. We're going to practice disidentifying ourselves and, and others from our limitations. And that's just the contemplation you do throughout the day. Uh, practice cultivating trust to develop authentic uh, self-confidence. Remember to continue your cultivation of the threefold training. And of course, when challenges arise, apply the four steps of acceptance when needed. I wanna thank everybody for joining me. Um, 
Uh, always remember that I'm just a click away to help and support you. Please uh, take advantage of our WhatsApp group, our chats, and uh, share any questions, insight, or information you might have about our practice. Uh, lastly, although our program is free, our group does rely on donations to continue its work. So if you're enjoying the program and you'd like to ensure that it remains available towards others, consider making a donation today at sbtonline.org. With that said, let's finish up with our altruistic affirmation. May all be healthy, may all be prosperous, may all be well, may all be present, free of past regret and future worry, may all abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment, may all realize the true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. Thanks everybody for joining me and making my day great. So we got our hands full with practice this week, right? I gave you some great tools to start working with dealing with pain and suffering and mental afflictions, and that little voice in the back of your head that says you can't do stuff. So uh, work hard and, and we'll talk about it in our group chats. Okay, bye-bye everybody. See you later. Bye-bye, thank you. Bye-bye, thank you. Thank you, Tarpa. You're welcome. Thank you, Corporal.